Yes, uh, I'm uh, with a ministry called Ebenezer Operation Exodus. And actually tonight there will be a meeting, not, not here in this room, but nearby somewhere, uh, King's Church. I think every church should, should be the King's Church. I mean, <laughs> the King of King's Church, okay? That's a great place. So if you have time tonight at 7, come. I will share a little bit more. I think we have a little bit more time. This morning, it, it looks like two different topics, but it's one. I will speak about something which uh, is very much in our heart longer ago, but now we see it really, a little word which is called sudden, you know, things, some things happen suddenly. And then I will speak a little bit about what is going on in Ukraine, I mean, from the little perspectives. There are many things going on. You can read the newspaper, don't believe everything in the newspaper. Most people we meet say it says it's much worse for what we get in our news. And that's true. If, if you're there, and I, I just was in Odessa a few days ago, it's much worse of what we think. I mean, it's the largest refugee crisis. It's a war in the heart of Europe, you could say. Ukraine is a breadbasket of Europe. In the heart of Europe, over 10 million people within weeks did lose their homes. Over 10 million. Think about this, you know. It's, it's things which we thought, I mean, I'm a generation, I, I grew up without war, you know. We did hear from our uh, parents, my father was five years when he had to flee the Russians and of course our grandparents, this generation, so you hear the stories uh, and, and you think, yes, in the books, but now to see it with your own eyes, it's such a difference. So uh, that will be also uh, some part of the, of the service today. But let's uh, start with a verse from uh, Malachi 3. And that is something I, uh, I, I didn't want to start with what Jesus said, because we think, yeah, Jesus, he speaks about his return. But let's start with something which unites Jews and Christians. And Chris said it, said something wonderful. We, we speak a lot what divides us. But actually, we should understand what unites us is this desire for the Messiah to come. You know, Christ is a Greek word for Messiah. It means the anointed one. This one, the Savior, which is through all the Bible promised. I mean, from the beginning, when Adam and Eve did fall in sin because of the disobedience, God had a plan of salvation. And I think when we were in, in the worship, you know, when we express this, this longing to Jesus, it's yeah. this longing for the Messiah. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as long as we think we can manage life and we have everything in control, you never will become a Christian. And you know, to become a Christian, you, you don't have to be like an alcoholic or drug addict. Some people think like Christian are only like, the, no, the moment you realize you need salvation. Every person needs salvation, if you're honest. You cry out, you know, and you say, Lord, I need you. Jesus, I need you. And sometimes, because we have a nice life and everything, we forget about him. You know, so the Bible says we, we grow cold, even as a Christian. Maybe not with, in England, with English Christian, but at least with German Christians, you know. I know people 20 years ago, they were really on fire for the Lord and dedicated. And then they marry, have said children, have said job, which is in itself not wrong. But then they trust more in, the, in their abilities, in their career, in everything, you know. 
but but we live in a time of shaking and time of shaking is time of grace so yeah. here is something very interesting it says behold i send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me and the lord whom you seek do you seek god yeah. do you seek the lord yeah. wow what will happen he will suddenly come to his temple suddenly You know, we know he's coming. He will suddenly come. Wow. You know, says something. Who is married? Who, who of you is married here? You know, I always said, before I married, it's, it's quite, it's over 30 years ago. But you know, you have this nightmare. You are so nervous before it happens. So you fall asleep in the morning and you miss your marriage, you know, or like she comes and you're still in your nightwear and you have, didn't take a shower and everything, you, you know, like somehow, and it's almost like some Christians, you know, Jesus said he's coming and we are so busy with many other things, but he says he will suddenly come. And then it says, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who can endure the day of his coming? Wow. wow. Who can endure the day of his coming? You know, today we speak a lot about fears. People are in fears. Yeah. Can I pay my gas bill? I don't know, or electricity bill. At least in many countries in Europe, it's, it's crazy. You know, things happening. People... Will I have my job? Will I lose? Can I pay my mortgage? You know, people have fears. Is there a war? Is a war coming to our countries? You know, things like this with the COVID, it started. You know, in, in a measure, of course, we always had fears, but, but fear, look, which, which like almost takes grip over, over the people. But you know, the Bible says something. The only fear we should have is the fear of the Lord. You know, some people fear more COVID or wars and they fear the Lord. Yeah. And that's, of course, a complete different kind of fear. It's really reverence. Yeah. It's yeah. taking his word serious. It's taking him serious. Yeah. You know, to be a Christian is not religion. Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. He came to connect us with the creator of heaven yeah. and earth. So all this religious stuff, he never, you know, he never said, do this and this. Someone, when I was uh, pastoring, he said, oh, in your church, what do I have to do? And said, look, you don't have to do nothing. But if you really love Jesus, you should obey his word. Yeah. You know, it's not about how long do I have to pray to be a Christian or to come in heaven? No. Because I want to pray because I want to have fellowship with him. Yeah. You know, if you do things out of religion uh, because others do it, it's, it's, you know, God came or sent Jesus that we can have a relation. And of course, it finds forms. We sing the same songs, but you can sing the best songs if your heart is dead. It doesn't bring you anywhere. You know, and revival. I think, isn't that this called revive church or something? What is revival? It's reconnecting with the Lord you know we sometimes think suddenly from outside something big happens but normally it's something in our heart it's it's our relation with the Lord and he will come suddenly but who can stand for he's like a refiner's fire and like fullest soap 
has to do with confessing of sin. It has to do with repentance. You know, some Christians don't like these words anymore. We don't speak about sin because people don't like to hear, but, you know, that's then you don't love people. Because, you know, we, God, Jesus came to redeem us. Hallelujah. You know, in, in Luke, uh, he speaks a, a lot, you know, like before Jesus was crucified about this, we call it end times or all these things. I, I, I'm, it's not time to go too detailed in it, but he, he says here one thing. Watch yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. And I think that happens, especially in the Western world. I mean, you say, oh, I'm happy I'm not an alcoholic, so I'm not drunken. But you can be drunken with many things. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's be honest. It's, you, you know, it's much easier to watch a Netflix series yeah. than to study the Word of God, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's, it's much e- I mean, I know my flesh is strong, you know. It's much easier to have a nice evening with some friends and all, that's not wrong, that's not sin in itself, than really bringing things in order in your life, maybe in your family, you know. Why is the divorce rate today so strong? Because it's easier, you know, to just run away from your problems instead of confronting it and work on your marriage, work in your relationship. And I don't judge anybody who, who, who gets divorced, but you know, we shouldn't take things easy. Yeah. Because there's a solution in the Lord if we really bow before him. And in the times we live, it says here, I w- it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Sorry, that includes England. So, you know, <laughs> you know some people, they say, I immigrate to Paraguay or somewhere, you know, when the whole COVID thing was. But... You know, he, he will come, he will return not only to one or two places. It, it's, it affects the whole earth. And, but he says, stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things. Because before he was speaking about signs in heaven, on earth, people will have fears and things like this, you know. Uh, it's, it's like, yeah... Here, you can read it at home, the whole chapter, Luke 21, you know. There will be signs in sun and moon and stars on the earth, distress of nations. And we see it so like really whole nations are in distress and uh, in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world and so on. So that are things... Okay, we don't like to preach about because people don't want to come on a Sunday morning. You want a nice preaching. So I'm, I'm very sorry. You, you don't have to invite me back again. But it's just a reality. You know, you know what little children do? I have three children and I was a child. If they don't want to see something, they just close their eyes. It's so easy with our little grandchild, two and a half years, you know, it's so easy to, to play hide and seek, you know, you just, uh, she just closes her eyes and everything disappears. <laughs> and that's like, sometimes like Christians, no, I don't watch news. And you don't have to watch news, but don't think things don't happen because you don't watch it, yeah. you know. Yeah. 
You, you, you cannot escape from the world, but the Bible promised if we believe in Jesus, we are born again. Amen. Actually, a truth is which is stronger than what we see here, we are already seated in heaven. That's what Paul teaches. We are already in heaven, only the moment you're born again. He takes you in heaven, and the same moment he sends you back again. Because there's still a job to do. You know, God doesn't let us here because he wants, okay, let's see if after 50 years of really bad things, he still will believe in me. No, because he has a job for you to do. To be light in the world. Because Jesus is a light, but now Jesus lives in you. You know, the world normally doesn't see God, but say, sees the church. So it's so sad when the church is in darkness, speaking in general. You know, if we don't have hope, who can bring hope to the world? Yeah. You know, and of course, our hope is not, oh, everything, it won't be so bad as we sing. No, our hope is the eternal life in Jesus, the new Jerusalem he's speaking about, which is even hard to describe. Something, he only gives us a glimpse of eternity. Our hope is not that things here are getting better because Jesus made it very clear. Before he comes, things will be worse. Let's be realistic. Let's not be like little children, close our eyes. Yeah. Things get worse. It doesn't mean individually, oh, now everything gets worse in your life. No, God can give blessing. He can protect you from many things. But in a way, we are part of this world. You know, we cannot completely flee, but we can be light. Yeah. And we can see that the things we do make a difference. Hallelujah. Yeah. So be careful that your hearts are not full with other things. In Mark 13, Jesus said, Therefore, stay awake. And it, it speaks about spiritual awakeness. You can take your, I don't know how many hours of sleep you need, but, but spiritually stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come. By the way, some people are very, think they're very intelligent. They calculate, no, I think Jesus will not come back in my lifetime, so I can do what I want. You never know when you will stand before his throne. And then how sad it is when you're there and then he shows you all he had planned for your life. He says, look, here was your neighbor. He was desperate. But you fear to speak with him because maybe it's a little bit embarrassing if he finds out you're a Christian because you're always shouting at your wife, you know, you felt you shouldn't, you know, or whatever, you know, but... I mean, I actually, I had neighbors one time, they had these super evangelists, you know, who had their cars full of stickers, Jesus everywhere, and on their friends, you know, takes this thing, but they were always fighting. <laughs> and so all the neighbors could hear them, I mean, three, four houses on. So I told them, take the stickers away, take this, I mean, you're such a bad testimony, you know. We should be light. We should be a testimony because the world doesn't know anymore where to go. And don't let's always look at the politicians or at the people who don't know Jesus. Yes, they don't know what to do. We should not judge the world. We should judge first our life. I mean, judgment starts in the house of God, the Bible says, and amongst us. We should really press into holiness, into discipleship. And then he, he said, lest that he come suddenly and find you asleep, stay awake. So are you really on alert? I mean, when I became a Christian, 
I, re I really wanted to see him. I wouldn't even believe I'm still, uh, the world still exists in 2023. It was like in the late 70s, you had so much yeah, yeah, teaching yeah. about his return and like immediate rapture. I mean, if you see things now, they think that was even paradise back then, you know. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> but there's one thing in Acts that is very interesting. When it's like the second preaching like recorded of Peter after like it was Pentecost and then short after. And then people come to the Lord and say, daily, God added people. Yeah. You know? So the church really, I heard about evangelism. That's great. We always pray on the street, God, show us the people you have prepared. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, God will not judge us how big our church is. He will judge us how faithful we have been. You know, I've, I've been a missionary in Spain, and God sent us to a small village. The church there had like 10 members when we came. And we came a family of five, so it was almost like revival. I mean, 50% <laughs> gross. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, people told me, no, St Spain is a graveyard of missionaries, of pastors, and, and you, you never, but and you could open a church, you know, another church where I lived 100, 200 people like this. We, were, we had one big church and, and co-passing easily. But I, I told people, look, it doesn't matter. If, I, if God sends me to preach to 10 people, I have to do the same preparation. Yeah. I have the same responsibility. If I want to speak to many people, we are very much connected with a church in Mexico. They're every some years, they double. I mean, they just recently had their auditorium from 2,000 to 4,000 seats, still need three services on a Sunday. You know, and say, so if I want to preach to thousands, I go to Mexico, which I do next month. It's, it's, uh, but any, anyway, you know, it's not to how many people you preach. It's not how many people you reach on an outreach on the street. It's yeah. if you have been faithful to what God called you. You know, one, one, someone tells me, oh, I have to care for my old father. He's alone. I cannot uh, do things for the Lord. I said, what? That's for the Lord. Because yeah. it's a command to care for your parents. Yeah. You know? Jesus even accused the people. They made a deal with the priest. They gave some money to the priest and said, then we are free to care for our parents. And the priest gave them like a voucher. Yes, you're free. You don't have to care. And Jesus told them that you're wrong. You know, you serve God in your job, in your neighborhood, in, in, in your family, with your children, wherever God places you. God will only see, have you been faithful with what he has given to you? That's very important. Not in, in absolute numbers, you know. Because you never know where God sends you. And, and sometimes there are times it's easy. People come to the Lord easy. And sometimes it seems almost impossible. That's not your fault. Your fault would be if you don't pray and if you're not faithful in being a light where you are. And here, Peter preaches, and, and, he, and of course, it was great. When pe many people come to the Lord, the church grows, and people ask, what do we have to do? And, and here he says... I know you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that, this, that his Christ would suffer, he has fulfilled. Repent, therefore, turn back, 
that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. And here he doesn't refer to weird prophets who said, I don't know, a vision or a dream, which is, I, don't, I, I mean, you have to judge about it, but he, he speaks very clearly about the prophets, basically about what we call the Old Testament. You know, he said, every promise will be fulfilled. And Jesus confirmed this. My heaven and earth even will pass away, but nothing, not the littlest part of my word. So if you study the prophets, what's the main topic? is the return of the people of Israel to the Holy Land of Israel. Yeah. You know, he never gave, gave up Israel. It's maybe new for some of you. I grew up in a church that never spoke about Israel. I knew Israel exists as a nation, but, as a nation, but I didn't make the connection between Israel today and Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all these wonderful stories. But it's the same. It's the same people. And Jesus said, I, I will scatter you. But at the end of the days, I will make you return to the land. And look, we are the generation who's seeing this happening. If I would have preached this even 100 years ago, there was not a state of Israel. Think about this. I think now they celebrate 75 years, you know, very soon. So we see a fulfillment of prophecies. And in these prophecies, now I, I, I go to the second topic, you will see it has to do with the coming of Jesus. There is something the Bible calls the land of the north. So if the Bible speaks about north, south, east, west, it always refers from Jerusalem, never from London. Because you would say, oh, the Scots, the Scots will return home, or no, you know. Uh, or from Germany would say, oh, the Danish people, or, or Finnish, or Norwegian. No, it's always from Jerusalem. If you go up from Jerusalem, you, you end up in, in uh, Moscow. So this huge area, which was called the Soviet Union, where all the people would speak uh, Russian, uh, which is, uh, Russia still is the largest country on earth. Geographically, there's 10 time zones. Think about it. 10 time zones. To fly from here to New York is much closer than to fly from here to only Siberia or Far East. I mean, it has so many people groups. You know, it's such a huge country. And of course, under Soviet Union, it included even other countries, which uh, Mr. Putin likes to take back again, you know, under his control, as we know. But the Bible speaks, especially when he speaks about Israel, I will bring you back from the land of the north. There are many, many scriptures, like Jeremiah 23.8. But they will say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land uh, of the north and out of all the countries where he had banished them, then they will live in their own land. It's very interesting. Some people say, no, the Jews don't have a right to, to live in, in, in Israel. In Judea, they say a Jew. You know why a Jew is called Jew? Because he's from Judea. It's like if I would say, you're English, but you have no right to live in England. Because now you have so many Muslims in your country. I mean, hand it over to them. I mean, there's only one Jewish country. So think about how many Muslim countries exist. 
and such, such, such a tiny land and even this they want to take away. I mean, how crazy is this? And God, he is a maker of heaven and earth. So he said, this part of land I will give to my people Israel. So that's all, you know. We don't go in politics, but of course it's politics. But it's that easy. He, I mean, if you create something, you, you're free to give it to whom you want. He said, look, the English, England. The Wales, Wales. The Welsh, Wales. The, you know, the Irish island. But to Israel, Israel. It's that easy. You know. Okay, Jeremiah, I, I, I have to be careful not to come too much in this. <laughs> Oh, only have 15 minutes. Okay, let, let, let's skip. There, there are many verses speaking about the land of the north. And now there's one verse in Zechariah 2, uh, where it even says, Up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Up, escape to Zion. So here he speaks about the time where they have to escape, to flee. And look, in all history, we have not seen it fulfilled until last year, 24th of February. Because in the 90s, I mean, there came many Jewish people out of Russia when the communist system fell down, but then they didn't have to flee. But suddenly a war breaks out, and suddenly the numbers of Jewish people, I mean, which are many still live in, in there and in Russia and in Ukraine, suddenly they had to flee. And that's such a difference. You know, and uh, the day when the war started, 24th of February, we sent a team of six, you can see it here, five brothers, one sister, uh, to the border. So we had less than 12 hours after the war started, we had them together. They told their workplaces, look, I don't come tomorrow. They only planned to go four days. I said, you drive there because I had some other appointment. I couldn't go immediately. Uh, so I said, you go and you look. So they, they sat in their cars, they drove through the whole night, arrived in the morning, uh, this group of people, and they find a hotel almost direct at the border, in the main, in the border from Poland to Ukraine. That's uh, in, the, in the city which is closest to Ukraine. And this hotel, there were already some rooms rent, but I said, always if a room gets free, we rent it. So after, I think, two weeks, we had the whole hotel, and until October, we would rent the hotel. I mean, I never run a hotel before, so suddenly we had to run a hotel, and this served a place of shelter, transport, humanitarian aid, counseling, and prayer. Every day we would have prayer meetings. We had over 100 volunteers only in, uh, from, from end February until summer, working there, coming, helping, going to the border, going into Ukraine, bringing people out. And of course, we have a team in Ukraine. I mean, we have uh, three vehicles, we have a team of 10 employed people, uh, but let's say a core team of four, three drivers and, and one other lady. So we had a responsibility for them. But, so I said, I want to be as close as possible a base from where we can provide help to our team in, in Ukraine. So God gave this place to us. And actually this is someone, a lady, had a dream in the night of this eagle. And this hotel is called White Eagle. 
Isn't it interesting? So she had a vision and she painted it down and it really looked like this hotel. And, and, and we had very often this verse, Isaiah 25, where it says, you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall. So that was really a place of shelter and help. Now we have another base because the hotel had to close down uh, but, and, and there are less people coming. But I want to show you now a short video clip. That is a night to facilitate oops. the alia of... I go back again. Uh, this is uh, the wife of our leader in Ukraine. He's called Vadim and that's Natasha. So when the war started, I told my team, we pay and we bring out all your f parents children, wives, and grandchildren. Because I don't want them to go in a refugee camp or somewhere. So we had a responsibility. And of course, then we started also to go in, into Ukraine until today regularly. So she, they, they lived in Kiev, and they just couldn't go out anymore. So they ended up in a village where on both sides there were battles. So on one side was the Ukrainian army and then the other is the Russian army a little bit outside Kiev. And every day he would go out. His, uh, the man who owns the house, he was shot one time when they were out investigating and the bullet just was a few centimeters flying. I mean, he could hear the, the sound of it. But after 10 days, and they could leave it, they felt from the Lord, immediately go now, they sit in the car and drive uh, to the border where uh, the Jewish agency would run a rescue place for Jewish people, which were thousands that did find help and where our team from then on was mainly working. So that's the story of their flight, and you get a little bit of an insight. Again, tonight, you will see more videos. We'll find out a little bit more, but, but just to get an the idea. The team in Ukraine is working day and night to facilitate the alia of thousands of Alim. This is Alia News. That's my daughter, by the way. Every day, thousands of Ukrainians cross the border into neighboring countries. And daily, hundreds of Jewish refugees who are among them are held by Ebenezer in Ukraine and across the border. In addition to the Alim, the families of Ebenezer team members are seeking refuge too. The family of Vadim, the team leader in Ukraine, has recently made it across the border. This is the story of their flight. February 2022. War breaks out in Ukraine. Vadim and Natasha's family have to leave Kyiv and go into hiding in a nearby village. After 10 days of being surrounded by the military, they find a way to escape. They arrive at a base near Lviv, serving as a collection point for a limb. Not a minute goes by in which Yanya's phone doesn't ring. The team in Ukraine is working tirelessly. Weekends, days off and closing times are a thing of the past. She receives countless phone calls from people seeking help and arranges the next steps. Vadim and two other drivers collect people who have reached out for help and bring them to the base near Lviv. Here they are given supplies and shelter until they can eventually get on one of the buses that will drive them to the border to neighboring countries or straight to Warsaw, a central point of departure to Israel. 
babies and young children, elderly and vulnerable people who rely on special support. People in all stages of life are being helped. Among them is a 96-year-old woman who is making Alia all by herself. For some, getting on a bus is a sign of hope and a step towards safety. For others, it means heartbreak. Husbands and fathers have to say goodbye to their loved ones as they watch them leave. But for all, getting on the bus is difficult. People have had to pack their bags in a hurry, without much time to think about what they will need to bring with them, leaving behind valued possessions, pets, friends and family, their homes. Will we see our house again? Will life ever be the way it used to? It is unclear for how long these questions may remain unanswered. After a few days at the center, Natasha, her mother and the two younger sons get on one of the buses that will cross the border to Poland. Vadim and the eldest son have to stay behind. The family has a very long bus journey ahead of them. There are very large queues of cars, buses and people who are arriving on foot. So many people uh, with pain in his eyes and uh, crying and um, like with big eyes from this terrible situation. After a waiting time of 19 hours, Natasha and her family can finally cross the border and they arrive at the Hotel for a Limb in Poland. Now, Christians in Germany are caring for the family, as well as the families of the two other Ebenezer drivers, until hopefully soon they can be reunited again as a family. And thank you very much for, to everybody for your prayer, prayers and, and everything, for your open heart for Ukrainian people, for, for us. Thank you. The team in Ukraine is working day and night to facilitate... Okay. That's, uh, we, we have a, a YouTube channel, it's called Alia News, you can find it uh, on, on YouTube, it's free, every twice a month we do updates. So of course it was a year ago, she says hopefully we can be united, it's already a year ago, you, because you know all men between 18 and 60 are not allowed to leave, so the, her oldest son had to stay. Every day with the fears that army comes and draft him, and, you know, and uh, that's, that's of course friends of us. That's the people I know over 20 years. I worked a lot in the 90s in Ukraine as a, miss a missionary. We helped to, to, to build churches there, uh, but then now with Ebenezer. So we, we worked since many years that are friends. So we had to help them, and then the many Olim coming. And the moment it was possible to go in, we took this one episode only when we drove in, but here a little bit what I, when our first trip when we went in, you know. Okay, there's no more sound. Drivers go and pick up people, help people to get there. So that's we our vehicle there in in uh, Ukraine. To come to Some of our minibuses. And, and of course we had alarm, you know, you get used to the, to the alarm, you still, people are waiting, you don't worry. I mean, the closest missile which came when we came in was 10 kilometers away, so it was not a big thing, but, uh, you know, people experiences, you know, in Salam, the, the children traumatized. And, of course, it's the beginning, uh, we went to the border, we, we worked with Israeli doctors who had a tent at the borders, and later we had a tent. Uh, there where we received people and like years it happened 
uh, uh, one evening, I think maybe after two weeks of the war, we were already going home, and normally we would have like 20 hour shifts start to work very early in the morning and you didn't have more than three, four hours sleep because you cannot sleep. If there are people you know, say wait 15, 19, 20 hours in minus degree and then if you get a call, there's a family, picks them up, you, 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 I mean, it's, it's just impossible. So that was, for example, here a family of 11. We are here picking up a family of 11. Small children, babies, so uh, in the cold we bring them to a safe place, bring them home. We got them from the Israeli doctors, uh, we are all friends, have a tent, so we work with them. And so normally we would host them in the hotel and we always sat on the step home because that's a, was a big difference. Here you see they come to the hotel. The big difference is the Jewish people go home. I mean the ones who come to England or in Germany with over a million, they will ne never be home there in a way. But the Israelis come home and suddenly they see, flee, flee, but I have a home. So we try to give them a home uh, there at, at the hotel. And then after they could have their papers and everything ready and renew as the next flight, uh, it is time to say goodbye. So that's a typical scene which happened since one year at our base. So, of course, you, you, you live with them, you grow together. And, and, and some even didn't want to leave. And they said, no, now you can go to Israel. Now you have your, your papers, you know. And you could see within days how they changed from tension, from fear, from anxiety into, into a real peace because they knew uh, there is hope and, and, it's, it, and it's not finished. Okay, I, I don't want to go too deep in this. That's more or less where we work at the moment uh, in and around Ukraine. We have even people who work in the war zone. That is very dangerous to evacuate. But we know if there are Jewish people calling us, or like now from Odessa where I've been, so there are 1,500 Jewish people who had to flee from the war zone. They are now in Odessa. And they need food. I mean, they lost their houses, their homes, everything. So they said, can you bring us food? Can you help us? So that's our team here in Ukraine. We bring humanitarian aid. That was like last week or two, now, now it's two weeks ago in Odessa. So they come and, and, and we try what we can do, you know, to, to really uh, pass it on to them until they have their papers, until they can go. Many do not want to go because they don't want to leave their husbands or their boys alone, which is understandable. So we don't say, you have to go. And a lot cannot go because they don't have the papers. Imagine, I mean, they didn't plan to move to Israel. Now their house is destroyed. All the things, their birth certificate, it's, it's all gone. It's in fire. I mean, some people came, they said, I had five minutes to pack my thing, and they came with a little backsack. So you don't have things prepared. Yeah. So they cannot even prove they are Jewish or they have the right to go to Israel. And that's a big problem. 
So, but they still ask us, they still say, can you care for us? And then, of course, there are regular flights, like here from Moldova, it was two weeks ago, we have at the moment once a week a flight where also different Christian Jewish organizations work together, and then it's, it's just great to, to be with these people and to show them the love of Christ. Because, you know, most Jewish people never knew Christians who bless Israel, who believe in their promise. And for them, it's such a surprise. Imagine, we had Holocaust survivors in our base. So there comes this Holocaust survivor. He said, look, I did survive Auschwitz. I did flee into Ukraine. And now, so many years later, there's this German at the border receiving me, caring for me. I mean, that's incredible. Tonight I will show you more testimonies and we have filmed some of them. That was for me so moving because Auschwitz is not far from where our base is. It's only a two, two and a half hour drive, you know. So you, you, you would never believe things would happen, you know. And, and of course our prayer is always like where, where the psalmist prayed, save us, O Lord, our God, and guess us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You know, there's a promise when Israel will regather to the land, eventually they will come and see their Savior. That's now, of course, it's a whole seminar in itself. But, you know, that's, that's what's happening. And most... Jewish people like are very, in, in Ukraine and Russia, they are like not even religious. They don't know their promises. And then to see Christians who believe in their God. It, you know, like we had prayer every day. And we said some, told them, look, that's for our staff members, for our volunteers. If, if, if you want, you can join. Normally, all joined. And they would sing with us and, and, and we would celebrate together. And for them, they even ask, can you pray for us? Very often they ask, Please, can you pray for us? So that's, that's uh, was in, if it would not be for the war, a really great experience. Also working with rabbis, working with Jewish and Christians really hand in hand. And uh, I think time is over, but I would like to, uh, or maybe first is just to give you an Im impression. Uh, last year, that's the Jewish people, I had to explain it. Olim means Jewish people who return to Israel. And the other word you heard already, like Aliyah news, Aliyah means to go up. Yeah, it's, it's an old Hebrew word, and it was used when people would go at the festivals to Jerusalem, they go up the mountain, so it has a physical meaning, but also a spiritual meaning. And it's interesting that the modern state of Israel uses these old words and says, if you come from diaspora after almost 2,000 years without a country, which never in history it happened with another people group, 2,000 years without own language, because most Jews don't speak Hebrew, it's only used in the synagogues, no country, no government, and now they're coming from almost 200 nations, I think over 170 nations. They're coming home because God is faithful. That's the only reason. Not because they already are super believers. No, because God fulfills his word. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's based on God. 
on God's faithfulness. And, and if, if we go in this, you will see, but the end will be, one day they will come and turn to the Lord. You know, it never, it says all English will turn to the Lord. That's sad. We, we pray for this. But we know one day all people in Israel will turn to the Lord. But they have to be in the land. And there's this restoration happening. I mean, you saw it with, with Jewish people. Sometimes they have more faith than we have, you know. And, and, and we should have more faith, you know, to really take the word as it is written. Just to give you some numbers. Last year, 43,685 Jews moved from Russia to Israel. And we could help 10,467 of them. So that's even more than from Ukraine. From Ukraine, we had 15,213 and we helped 5,408. That's absurd. Because Christians are faithful in praying and supporting. What a testimony. And I mean, we are not the only Christian organizations. There are others, good organizations. We, we couldn't handle it alone. So if you put the others, you can easily say more than half of the Jews somewhere had an encounter with a Bible-believing Christian in, in its return from Ukraine today. Why do they call us? Because they know they can trust in us, you know, over the years. So that's a great privilege. And, uh, but I would like to end with this question. The COVID crisis, the war in Europe, now the major earthquakes, I mean, in Turkey and surrounding countries. And many say that was just the beginning. They all expect the big one coming soon. So it should raise some questions in us. And that what we have learned, uh, Maybe we have to adapt our priorities. Let me put an example. We had from the volunteers one lady coming with her 14-year-old teenager girl. It could have been a boy, but it was a girl. I don't know. English teenagers may be different. But she was really, she said, oh, my girl, she, I want the latest iPhone. I want this jeans. I want that. I, you know how... Okay, you're all Christians, you're not like this. You say, I, I just want to serve the Lord. I don't mind about material possessions. But uh, this, it grew up in Germany, and you know, that's how people are. This group pressure in school, you know, and from friends. And, you know, she came with her daughter. And her 14-year-old daughter, she was in tears seeing these refugees coming with nothing. And she said, Mom, I'm sorry for all my complaints, for my taking things so important. You know what touched me so much? Like when it started, we, we, we started immediately collect clothes. That's why I came even here with a big bus. Some people told me before, when you come to England, bring some clothes. We collect it because it's winter again. And, but then I said, please don't give me secondhand underwear. I mean, who wants? And so we didn't bring any underwear. And you know what people mainly requested underwear? And I, I've never seen before someone starting to cry for a new pair of, uh, of underwear. Why? Because it, like this one man, elderly man, Holocaust survivor, you know, he said, look, I was now for weeks 
in the shelter, which is like a shelter, it's not a professional shelter, like in, in your, you know, they have these communist large houses, you're in the cellar, without anything. I didn't want to leave, but I would just run out of, I didn't have even more water to drink, nothing more. But I have the same dress when I left my apartment, which is bombed, which doesn't, so I have on the same thing, I didn't take a shower for weeks, that's what I have. What you want, a shower and a new pair of underwear. So one, one day when I was home, I said to my wife, let's buy underwear as much as possible. Uh, and mainly because there were mainly women coming because of this age problem. So we bought a lot of what women need, you know. What we did not think, you know, in Germany, they don't give you bags anymore. When you, so we went in this one shop and we had like... <laughs> so, and I parked my car on the other side of the parking. You're like, it was a much larger parking than this. So I have this... You know, all this uh, uh, women underwear carrying, and you know, everybody staring at me. And like one lady, oh, sometimes you need a little bit more. And it was so embarrassing. But I said, I don't mind. You know, let people think what they think. But then to see them, you know, the happiness yeah. of, of this. And that's what we do until today, you know, and, and as long as we can. You know, I said, I did read all these books, Corrie ten Boom, and said, well, what would I have done in the Nazi time? Would I have been willing to hide a Jew? And that's not risking my life. But I said, if I can save one life, yeah. I want to do it. Because that's a unique opportunity. And you can miss times. I mean, you can say, yeah, let's make a plan. Maybe in one year we may buy. Look, we didn't have vans. We didn't have nothing. In Poland, we didn't have a team, nothing. We just went there. Six people we sent from our church. And then they, I said, they found the hotel. You cannot come back. You have to stay until I find other people to replace you. So they had to call at their workplaces or their wives. Look, by the way, I'm at the border. And no one at the beginning knew what will happen. Was there a missile? Was there a nuclear war? Was there the nuclear power station blow up? I mean, still, until today, we don't know. But as long as I can help. You know, if they call, there is this Jewish family, and maybe so far away, if we can bring them out, we want to bring them out. And not because I have a bad conscience, because I'm German, no. Because I know God fulfills his word. That's very important. So, thanks a lot for, for having me here. I hope it, uh, I, I think I skipped one slide, I wanted to... Ask you these questions here, yeah, with the priorities. Let me just, just go through this. Do we really have trust in God through a personal relationship that will carry us through through times of difficulties? So your own personal relationship. And of course, good friends and church is good, but at COVID we have learned suddenly there was no church life program, I, I, at least in Germany, you know, and some churches almost like died because... You know, people said, oh, if I don't come, I cannot come, I don't give anymore, you know. And, and, and they didn't care about the pastors or, or other staff members or, or a rent you still had to pay, you know. So some churches were very much shaken. How would I react if suddenly I would to have leave all behind? I saw it very often. Look, there could be my daughter with her little child coming. How would I react if suddenly all I build up and sit so far and said, if I have to leave it and I know I will never have it back? 
One of our team member family, their house was bombed. They literally have only the suitcase they brought. But they said, we work and they helped really. I mean, we had over 5,000 since last year coming out. And that's gives fulfillment. And then when it's over, we will see what we will do. That's their attitude. You know, they could fall into depression. Some Christians would, would be desperate, but they'd say, look, we can do something. So even they are affected. I mean, they are Ukrainians. You know, let's be light in the darkness. How strong is my marriage? You know, many marriages are now separated since one year. We, I, I was preaching in a church in Lviv in November, where the pastor did fall in sin. Suddenly they don't have, because he couldn't stand that his wife with the children was away. So he just had another, started an affair with another woman. Of course, he couldn't be the pastor anymore. And then you come to this church. I mean, how strong is your marriage? You know, let's, let's build good foundations, you know. And, and that's one of the main things we pray for our teams. Let them be strong, you know. Uh, from our, one of our workers, you've seen the elderly lady, her husband is so sick, he couldn't move. He lives in the east. So they saw each other two, three times when she's driving. So it's almost at the war zone. He said, no, I, I, don't, I can't leave anymore. He's very sick. So do you have, is your marriage strong enough to survive? And then the last question, are we really open to hear God's warnings and voice? Or do we live in a world of our own wishful thinking? And that's, again, not to, to end this with fear, except the fear of the Lord. Yes, Lord, you will help me through. And there is always a way with the Lord. Amen. Amen. It may be different from what we think, but there is a way. So thanks a lot for your prayers, for uh, listening to me and... May God bless you all. And I, I would like to, can I do a short prayer for you? No? Lord, I thank you so much for this precious man and women here. Lord, I want to ask that each one goes home today with the assurance that you are greater than any plans of man and demonic, this demonic plans to bring destruction and death and separation. Lord, I want to especially ask this morning for the marriages who are maybe in times of shaking. Lord, that you bring healing, that you bring forgiveness, that people repent and humble before you and before each other, confess their sins, Lord. And where some have grown cold in their dedication to you, in their discipleship, following your word, Lord, that you rekindle again this first love and the assurance that your word never fails. So I ask you to bless this church and the leadership and each, each one here this morning. Amen.